reading today is from Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where you laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Let's speak to God. Thank you, Liam. And please uh, leave your Bibles open as we look at that passage this morning. Well, once a, one of the most significant dates uh, in British history is Sunday the 18th of June, 1815. I wonder whether you know about this date. Uh, Europe, at, by this time, had already been at war for some 23 years. Thousands of lives had already been lost. And on this historic day, Napoleon, the Emperor of France, would face the Duke of Wellington and the Prussian army one last time. The battleground was near Waterloo, which is in present-day present uh, Belgium, and at that time it was part of the United Kingdom. And so this battle was going to be a defining moment for the English. Uh, the future of Britain was at stake, and so people up and down the country were anxiously waiting across the channel to hear about what had happened at this battle. Everyone was waiting to hear, and one of the main outlook posts was on the roof of uh, Winchester Cathedral, where the channel could just be seen. And as the story goes, at last the signal ship came into view. A severe fog almost prevented the signal from being seen and being visible. But before the mist finally came down, the essentials of the message could just be read. Wellington defeated. The worst had happened. The depressing news uh, was then relayed from beacon to beacon, up and down all of England, Wellington defeated. And in a similar way, that's how the disciples felt on the first Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross. In their mind, Jesus had been their king. He was going to lead them into battle, cause an uprising that would overturn the Roman emperor and his occupation of Israel. Jesus was their hope to re-establish Israel and the glory of Jerusalem. But instead of that, their king, he was their king, their promised Messiah, the one they trusted with all their lives, the one in whom they dropped everything to follow, was now dead on a Roman cross. And so for them, the message was loud and clear. For the whole world to see, this king of the Jews was defeated. Jesus defeated. Maybe that's how you feel about Jesus today. Maybe you believe that he's simply a good man who taught good things but has tragically died. Jesus defeated. 
Easter is nothing more than a tragic story. Maybe you used to believe in Jesus. Maybe he was at one time your God. You gave him a go. You heard the promise of life and that life would be different. That there would be hope. That you'd be healed from cancer maybe. That you'd live a prosperous life. A trouble-free life. Whatever it might be, that hasn't happened for you. So you've given up on Jesus because Jesus, you feel, has given up on you. Life hasn't been smooth sailing. He's been no match to cancer, to the relationship breakdowns in your life, to the hardships you face in the workplace. As far as you're concerned, Jesus has been defeated. But if you know the history of the Battle of Waterloo, or you, you, you went on and researched about it after this service, did you know that Wellington wasn't actually defeated at all? Because a few hours after the devastating news was relayed throughout Beacon to Beacon all across England that Wellington was defeated, the fog finally lifted. And so from Winchester Cathedral, they could now finally see the whole message. The full message was now in view. They had it wrong. The message didn't simply say Wellington defeated. The full message was actually Wellington defeated the French. Wellington didn't lose the battle. He won the battle. Wellington wasn't defeated. He defeated the French emperor, Napoleon. And four days later, in fact, Napoleon abdicates and goes into exile again. And so it is with the message of the cross. Jesus wasn't defeated. Because three days later, when the fog lifted, as it were, the full message of the cross could be seen in its entirety. Jesus defeated death. Now, some of you might already know that, but some of you might not. And so if you were to do your own research, as you would with Waterloo, then you can actually find out the facts. You'll find out that Jesus didn't just die a gruesome death, but he came back in victory in life when he was raised from the grave. He defeated death, and Jesus now sits and reigns in glory forever and ever. Just as Wellington defeated the French, so Jesus has defeated death. And this is highly significant for all of us, isn't it? Someone in our history, a history that you and I share, has done the one thing that we can't do. The impossible has become possible. For Jesus has defeated the one thing that we all fear, the one thing that we have no control over, the one thing that we avoid talking about, the one thing that we dread, but one day must face. Death. Imagine if you or someone you love suffer from an incurable illness, a serious illness, a terminal illness, and the doctor says to you, there's no cure. There never will be a cure. No medicine, no rehab, no care could be provided, no treatment. There's nothing that can be done to save your life. You'd be crushed, wouldn't you? Whether that's your life or the life of the loved one. You'd be crushed. We live our lives with great hope, only to find that we must face death. In all we do, in all we accomplish, at the end of the day, we'll be six feet under. 
But the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead changes all of that because he's the cure. He's the hope where there's no hope. He's the one who offers life after death. And so the resurrection of Jesus, Easter, changes everything for us forever. You see, when Abraham died 1900 BC, about 4,000 years ago, he didn't come back to life. When Muhammad died on the 8th of June, 632, in Medina, he was buried in a tomb, and, and still thousands of Muslims visit that tomb today. When Buddha died, it was said, with that utter passing away in which nothing whatever remains behind. He died. But when Jesus died, he was buried in a tomb. He was dead as dead can be. But three days later, the tomb was empty. He had risen back to life with physical body, with flesh and bones, never to die again. Jesus is physically now sitting on a throne in heaven. And so he offers us life. He offers us eternal life. Life beyond the grave. Life without suffering. Life with him forever. And so this Easter morning, we're going to look at Mark's account of the resurrection. So as a church, we've been studying Mark's gospel, and now we've come to the climax, as it were. And the focus of today is going to be three things that gives us confidence that the resurrection truly did happen, that we can have genuine and true and deep confidence that if we put our faith in Jesus, that his resurrection will be our resurrection that his life eternal will be our life eternal. That just as Wellington defeated the French and Jesus defeated death, so we will stand with him in glory beyond the grave. And the first confidence, the first area in, in today's passage where we can have deep confidence that the resurrection truly happened is from the fact that women were the first eyewitnesses. Now that might sound a bit bizarre to you, but let me explain. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, we're told that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were there. So please have your Bibles open. Chapter 15, verse 40, just a couple of verses before our Bible reading today. You see, it reads this. Mark's account is this, of the death of Jesus on the cross. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. Now, these women weren't random people. These women were... Friends of Jesus, close friends of Jesus, they knew Jesus intimately and personally. They had followed him to Jerusalem. We see this in the next verse, in verse 41. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. They weren't just the only ones. There were many women, but these ones are named because they're still alive. You can go and talk to them and ask them. Were you there at the cross? Yes, I was. I saw Jesus die. I saw the sky darken. I saw his side being pierced by the Romans. I saw him hanging naked and humiliated. I saw that. I witnessed all that. And there were many of us there. And then when Jesus was buried by Joseph Arimathea, who was a well-known person, who was a wealthy person, and he's still alive, and so you can go talk to him. He had a tomb. He used that tomb for Jesus to be buried. Verse 47, who, were, who, who saw that? Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And then three days later, on the first Easter Sunday, uh, there they were again in verse 1. 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And, but when they got there, the stone was moved away. They go inside and there's no body. There's, there's no body there. Instead, they see a man dressed in a white robe, probably an angel, uh, who tells them in verse 6, Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. These women, they knew Jesus personally. They cared for Jesus. They followed Jesus. And they were there when he was crucified. They were there when he was buried. They were there when the tomb was emptied because he had risen to life. Now, now why is it significant? Why is it significant that it's women that were the key eyewitnesses, the first eyewitnesses of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, it's for this reason. In the first century, a woman's testimony, a woman's eyewitness account, counted for nothing. It meant nothing in a Jewish court of law. So if a woman saw a man commit murder, and if she was the only witness, the man won't be committed of the crime because her testimony is worth nothing. It was inadmissible in court because at that time, in the first century, women were considered unreliable witnesses. In fact, the first century historian Josephus, who wasn't a Christian, by the way, says that even the witness of multiple women was not acceptable. And he says this, because of the levity and boldness of their sex. Simply because they're a woman, they're unreliable. Celsus, the second century critic of Christianity, also not a Christian, mocked the idea that the Bible records that Mary Magdalene as, as a witness to the resurrection because a couple hundred years after this fact, he who did not know Mary personally says this about her. She was a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. You see, if you were to fabricate a story and make all this up, you would never have used women as your key eyewitnesses, let alone your first eyewitnesses, because the entire culture of society of that time was stacked against you. No one would believe you. But Mark records women as the first eyewitnesses because that's actually what happened. Even if it makes the story seem unbelievable and strange, but because it happened, he records it for us. I mean, look at the way he ends the gospel in verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So just imagine if you were Mark and you wanted to make up a story about Jesus and about the resurrection. You would never make up a story with women as the eyewitnesses. You wouldn't end the gospel with verse 8. So abruptly, so strange. But Mark did because he was simply recording what had happened. He was recording a true account of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we value women, women today as we value men, not because of the feminist movement of the 20th century, but because Jesus flipped the world on its head in the first century. He saw and taught women and loved women 
as equal to men. The testimony of women stands for something. The women saw Jesus die. They saw him buried and they saw him rise again. And so the first question I have for you is, will you believe these women? Now the second reason why Jesus' resurrection is believable is because the tomb is empty. You see, the fact that Jesus was buried proves that he died, and the fact that the tomb is empty proves that he rose to life. But some say that, oh, women just went to the wrong tomb. But if that's the case, what are you saying about women? (laughs) But more importantly, the Romans and the Jews could have easily said, well, women, you went to the wrong tomb, the tomb's right there. They could have done that, but they didn't, because they couldn't. Uh, or otherwise, they could have said, actually, Jesus' body is right here. Here's his body, let's unwrap him, see his face, there he is. But they couldn't do that because his body wasn't there. If they did, they could have short-circuited the entire movement. But they didn't because they couldn't. The tomb was empty, the corpse had vanished. Or, or someone might say, oh, well, the disciples went and stole the body. That's why the tomb's empty. In fact, that's the lie that actually was circulating around this time, and we read of it in Matthew's Gospel. But we know that that would never have happened, don't we? The disciples, you see, didn't even believe that the resurrection would happen. They didn't believe that Jesus would rise back from the dead. So it would never have crossed their mind to go to the tomb. They, they, they were scared, they were frightened, they were running for their lives. They had scattered. They'd run for their lives. So to go to the tomb, to fight off the guards, to break the seal, to roll away the stone, to steal Jesus' body, to hide it so that no one ever finds it, and then to lie to everyone about it, even though it meant dying for it, it's just completely unfathomable. It it makes no logical sense that they would have done that. Pinchas Lapide of Ba'ilan University in Tel Aviv in, in Israel. An Orthodox Jewish historian says this, if the defeated and depressed group of disciples overnight could change into a victorious movement of faith, based only on auto-suggestion or self-deception, without a fundamental faith experience, then this would be a much greater miracle than the resurrection itself. In a purely logical analysis, the resurrection of Jesus is the lesser of two evils for all those who seek a rational explanation of the worldwide consequences of that Easter faith. That is... It would take more faith to believe that the disciples who had denied Jesus, who betrayed Jesus, who deserted Jesus, to believe that and then for them to steal the body, to make up this lie, it would take more faith to believe in that lie than to actually believe in the resurrection itself. That's his point. Which leads me to my third point. The third reason why we can believe that the resurrection is believable is because the church was formed. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the Christian faith couldn't have come to come into being. The disciples would remain crushed and defeated. They, they might have remembered their beloved teacher, but all their hopes of Jesus being the promised Messiah would have been dashed. The cross would have been the end of their career, and the disciples would have just gone back to fishing and tax collecting or whatever else they were doing before they met Jesus. But instead, what did they do? They went to Galilee. They went to meet Jesus as he's promised. And so the disciples then went far and wide to preach the resurrection of Jesus. All of them, except for one, 
the Apostle John, all of them died a martyr's death. They died because they proclaimed the resurrection. And 2,000 years later, millions of people believe this, from doctors to lawyers, from scientists to garbologists, from the employed to the unemployed, from the elderly to the young. Millions of people across every culture have put their faith in Jesus, the risen Lord. For it is true. For it is true. Friends, you see, we will all die. But before that day comes, we all have a choice, and we can choose life. You might like the idea of following Abraham or Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius. But you have to realize that if you follow them, you're following a dead corpse. Because they're dead. You, and, and, and if they're dead, they can't offer life. If they're dead, they can't do anything for you. If you follow them, then you'll follow their path to death. You'll go where they've gone. You see, if you want to buy a bag, you can go to David Jones or, or Maya. If you, if you want to buy a fridge, you can go to the good guys or Harvey Norman. There are lots of places for you to get these sorts of things. But there's only one place that you can go for life. And that is the one who offers life. The one who has conquered death. And Jesus is that only one. No other religious leader can because they're dead. So if Jesus remained dead, Christianity would be the same as all other religions. But Jesus is alive and so that changes everything. History has changed and therefore our future can change. He's the resurrection and the life. He rose from the dead and offers life to all those who believe. So friends, let me encourage you to choose life and to keep choosing life and to keep following the giver of life so that where he has gone, you will also go. Not to the grave, but to eternal life with him. And I'd love for you to do that today, this Easter. And if you would love to, I'd love to hear and talk to you about it later. But if you still feel that you have questions, then please come along to our Christianity Explored course, which is a great opportunity to ask questions, to find out more, so that you can make an informed decision to choose life. And it's a free course, and I'd love to go through that with you. So let me know if you're interested, or if you'd like to turn to the giver of life today. Happy Easter.